Well, if we have not met, I'm Pastor Mike Ramsdale. And how many believe that today is a much nicer day than last Sunday? Uh, It's hard to believe that just a few days ago we were uh, like a 17 degrees, and today we're going to be up in the 70s. We were yesterday. What beautiful weather. Uh, May God give you peace this morning. May you just feel God's peace in your life. May you feel that presence in all the ways God wants you to have that presence. May undergird your experience this morning with his grace, his love for you. May you be filled with God's spirit today and take that with you into your world and your life. We want that for you uh, in preaching and singing and worship and prayer, what we're about today and what all happens for you today. If we continue to continue in a very important Begin the New Year series, five dumb things we do to mess up our lives. Uh, we've already hinted that we're not going to tell you what they are until you get here, so you already have an idea by the bulletin you have in front of you, what we're talking about today. These are really not research ideas necessarily. There are things that as a pastor, we or I have seen in my ministry with people's lives, how we in the world that I live in, you live in, we live in, uh, how we sometimes mess up our lives. Talked about how people last week often uh, want to find others who can make them happy, or they try to make others happy and how that makes them and everybody else miserable. Uh, That's one of the first things we said people often mess up their lives today. We're talking about chemically coping primarily alcohol. That's the word, uh, so you're already aware of that. And I want to share first what the Bible says about alcohol. It never, ever, anywhere condemns drinking. It doesn't do that. I'm pretty convinced that uh, Bible folks drank, uh, that Paul on occasion drank. He recommended it to Timothy, a little bit of it for his stomach's sake, we're told. Uh, Jesus turned water into wine. The Old Testament is full of people that, that drank alcohol, typically wine. So the, the Bible never condemns drinking, but it does condemn drunkenness. Very clear on both those things. It does not condemn drinking, but it condemns under the influence. Is a term we use today. The Bible uses the term drunkenness. So I, I lay that out there. Now I'm going to begin the actual message as we uh, examine this today. Again, uh, the second dumb thing that I believe we believe people do to mess up their lives. You may not know that Christopher Columbus... Uh, brought alcohol to the New World. Uh, he actually had it loaded on, the, on his ship. The Puritans loaded more beer than water on the Mayflower. And they were a very religious group, by the way. The early colonists made alcohol from carrots, tomatoes, onions, beets, celery, squash, and even corn silk. It was alive. They made alcohol out of it, it seems. There was no cranberry sauce, potatoes, or pumpkin pie at the first Thanksgiving, but there was beer, brandy, gin, and wine. Tavern owners, uh, bar owners is a term in those days, enjoyed higher social con status than clergy during part of the colonial period. So they say, there goes the bar owner. Oh, look at that old picture over there. One of Harvard, which was the first Christian college built in America, uh, first big projects was to build a brewery they could serve beer to their students at lunch. Religious services were often held in taverns in that day before churches were built. George Washington owned the biggest distillery in the New World, 13 original colonies. He was the biggest uh, seller of distilled alcohol of, in the entire uh, colonies. Patrick Henry, know that name, I'm sure. He was a bartender. How many knew that? Raise your hand. Now you know. If I ask it again, you'll, yeah, Randall knows everything. So, <laughs> He was a bartender. Uh, the Whiskey Rebellion tax collectors were attacked when whiskey was taxed. Uh, and the very first crisis after the Revolutionary Fault was over whiskey. 
and taxing on it. Other issues as well, surely, with that. Uh, but that was part of the journey in, the new, in, in, the, in American uh, history. The national anthem was written to the tune of a drinking song. Uh, now, don't think about that when you sing it next time, but uh, you may not know that. In the, in, the, in, the, in the 1800s, the average American aged 15 or older consumed seven gallons of alcohol a year. And that's hard alcohol, not beer. Three times the current rate. Uh, hi- historically, we're told that prohibition probably has something to do with dropping that number down. Even, even though people fought prohibition, that when the prohibition ended, alcohol consumption was less than it was before prohibition because it was illegal for that 10 years. Those are just facts. Franklin Roosevelt was elected president on the pledge to end a prohibition. You know, it had nothing to do with the war that had yet to begin. Uh, very little to do with the Depression. It was, I'm going to stop this prohibition business, and he did. Uh, and he got elected, and that's one of the reasons why. So those are stories that we hear. Now, the Methodist revival that brought, came to this world uh, did a, went a great deal toward leading. You may not know this. The Methodist church was uh, the, the strongest denomination in the country up until about 40 years ago. We're not that anymore, but we were for 100 years. It was the leading church to promote prohibition, which is in the 30s when alcohol uh, sales in this country were made illegal. The Methodist church led that church to do that. In fact, there's a man long before that uh, who was a doctor, uh, both a medical doctor and a dentist, who invented Welch's grape juice. And he did so in those years. If you let grapes sit around, they actually fermented. It became wine no matter what you did. So he he, he pasteurized grape juice so he could make a non-alcoholic drink to serve at communion time in Methodist churches because Methodists didn't drink. And so they had a hard time doing communion because communion had wine that had alcohol in it. So that's why that was created. So that's the history of Welch's grape juice, if you did not know that, and where that came from. Chemically coping. Now I want to show you a video about the facts today, give you a long-term, sometimes funny facts to me, now some modern facts about alcohol. Okay, well, I would assume that when we look at uh, topics like uh, dumb things that do mess up our lives, you'd expect a candid conversation about those. I hope you expect that when you come to, to church at First Methodist Church. So we're trying to do that today, and you have to know the truth to be able to actually talk about anything. And so even though I'm doing most of the talking, we're all thinking uh, about what uh, this, this, this uh, idea is today. Uh, advertising for alcohol uh, in this culture is $2 billion a year. If you're like me, and you may not be, I pay attention to those kind of things because I just, I'm, li- I'm wired like that. Uh, but most, uh, most advertisers for alcohol consumption, whether it's beer or wine or hard alcohol today, uh, is around either being coolness, that alcohol creates a coolness for someone. Uh, those are typically aimed at younger people. It makes you cool, whatever it might be, whether it be wine, beer, or vodka. It makes people cool. We see that a lot. If you watch those commercials, you agree with me. It's about community. Somehow alcohol creates community. We're all together. We're holding hands. We're having a good time, having fun, you know. It's about community. And often also associated with it will be celebration or fun. And so those are three primary things that are used to uh, increase uh, alcohol sales in our country. Uh, Often some aimed at women, some aimed at men, typically between 18 and 40, sometime 14 and 18. And you, you agree with me if you look at any of these commercials. Uh, typically not aimed at people my age. 
They've given up on me, either I do or I don't, you know. But uh, before that, though, they really, they really do target uh, many people in this service today. Again, if alcohol sales connected with, or alcohol connected with coolness, who doesn't want to be cool? I've given up on that, too. You know, it's about community. Everybody wants that. We want to love each other and hold hands and have a good time. So we connect that with it. And who wants more to have fun? And so we see those commercials are really powerful. And they're $2 billion aimed at our kids, aimed at you. Less aimed at me, but uh, they're out there anyway. And some of the points that you saw here, and I want to add to those as well, but I want to remind you what it says here. Uh, The Center for Disease Control, January 2nd, 2014. That's a few weeks ago. Here's what they say. 88,000 deaths a year because of alcohol. That's more than the Vietnam War and uh, Iraq and Afghanistan all put together. Far more than all that, including 9-11. That's a lot of deaths in just one year because of alcohol. Uh, $220 billion a year, we're told, the economy ha- is the cost of the economy of drinking. $220 billion, which is more than the gross national product budget of most countries. That's a lot of money. When you take alcohol, drugs, uh, and tobacco together, every year there's 570,000 deaths. That's such an enormous number we can't even imagine what that number is. And you saw on this video, 22 seconds, every 22 seconds, a drunk driving costs someone their life. Every 22 seconds. You know, four, four in a minute as we are having church today. Uh, 85% of, every, 85% of homicides, that was shocking to me to see that. 75, 75% of divorces was not shocking to see that somehow contributes to divorces today. That's three out of four marriages that broke up Alcohol was a part of that. And more college students die due to alcohol than get advanced degrees? I did not know that. I did not know the number one cause of infant death and mental retardation was alcohol. Number one, I did not know it was the number three cause of death in the United States. Those are simply facts. Not fun facts, but that's where we are. Uh, I have two cousins who were killed because of alcohol, both on the side of the road. Their cars broke down. Uh, one was going to college. Uh, one was a little bit older, both, both uh, in their 20s. So when I was a young man, lost two cousins that way, great young men, because of alcohol. Uh, Rhonda had a cousin killed the same way from, from because of alcohol. Her mother's life was uh, pretty much destroyed because of alcohol. Restored here uh, before she died a few months ago, or, or last year. But alcohol destroyed Rhonda's family, uh, her family life all the way until she was a grown woman, until recent years. So we have a personal connection with that. And so I share that as well. Um, I have a cousin, another cousin who I grew up with, a great young kid. When we were growing up, we used to play together. Uh, he began drinking, he was about 14. Uh, never lived anywhere but, but a trader behind his parents' house. They're in a small West Texas town. He never got past that. I remember visiting him in the hospital about eight, nine years ago, and it was so sad to see Davey uh, there in the hospital as his life deteriorated to the point of not even being able to have a conversation, barely. And he died a few years ago uh, because of that abuse in his life. So here we are. I've looked in the eyes of both parents who are having tears because of their kids drinking, of kids who have tears in their eyes because of a parent drinking, spouses who have tears in their eyes because of a spouse drinking. We can add drug uses as well to all those conversations. I've looked through the glass in jail 
uh, looking through to see people that I know who are on the other side of that jail, that glass, because of usually typically DUIs, how tragic that is for them. I've looked in too many caskets, way too many caskets, where someone died way too young because of alcohol use or drugs, prescription and otherwise. I can't tell you how many times I've been in that situation with a family who is shedding tears and crying for a loved one they loved and who loved them and who's there because of, of a drug of any sort, usually alcohol, sometimes other drugs as well. So those are my stories, and why I would pick that out is, here's one I've got to talk about of the dumb things that people do to mess up their lives, and today we're going to look at the book of Ephesians. It's a Bible book. You have a message page, I believe, that has uh, notes on there for you to take, and that message page, those are Bible verses is all they are. They're Bible verses from the Message Bible. It speaks, I think, very clearly to us. So I I selected that translation for you today. And I'm going to read all that for you so you don't have to necessarily look that up. But uh, we're going to talk about those things in a minute. But God, you know, gives us his book for a reason. He, He loves us. He cares about us. He wants us to live full, abundant, happy, meaningful, effective, serve Jesus lives. He wants that for all of us. And he knows that we need direction for that to happen. And so it gives us a book. And that book we call the Bible gives us those kind of guidelines. How wonderful is that? Thank you, God, for not leaving me by myself to figure this out on my own. I would mess it up. And so God gives me direction that I need in my life. And these words are written to a church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a pagan community, Greeks and Romans. And they gathered there, and those folks had lived the Roman way of life which was unrestricted living. It was about enjoying your life, uh, alcohol use, uh, uh, adultery was part of that life, uh, worshiping idols was part of it. There were so many negative things about that life, and you have to throw in a little bit of the, the arena gladiators and the things that they would see there in the arena and the death and slaughter that went along with it. That was their way of life. And so these men and women were coming to Jesus Christ. They were hearing about a Savior named Jesus. If they believed in him, they would soul would be saved. They would come to the community called the church, and they would gather together, and they would begin to worship God and experience Christ and live a new way. And they're being told by these words, here's how you live now versus how you were living. When you come out of that pagan world, now you live a new way, and these are some of the guidelines given to them to help them experience a new life in Christ, in in, in the community called the church, in an abundant, meaningful, joyful, I love you, God, you love me, and, and we share that together, and that's what was happening there in that early world. And that's who this letter is written to, which means it's written to us, because our world's pretty unrestricted too, isn't it? Do you agree with that? Live in a world where we are so free, or we think freedom is, I'm now free. Don't tell me I can't do what I want to do, we tell others. Uh, don't, don't tell me I can't, I have to do something I don't want to do. We're, we're, we're about unrestricted living in our culture, that we can choose, do whatever we want to do. We, we don't like to be told there are restrictions or boundaries for us. And there's not very many. Uh, you can go to Colorado and buy marijuana today if you want to. Please don't do that. But you can. You know, that's the world that you and I live in, Right? And so we don't like restrictions, and so we have to deal with that. What is really, what freedom do I have as a Christian as I choose to live for God? And these words are given to me. And so I'm going to read the first verse of this Ephesians text. Uh, it's Ephesians 5, 15 through 21, looking at today. And the first verse says, I believe I'm going to put that up there on the screen for you to see. So watch your step. 
Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Uh, a very short time ago, my wife and I were on vacation on the coast. We love going to the beach. We were on the third floor of a kind of a condo. And when it comes time to leave, I did the man thing, which is I can carry all the luggage down in one trip. <laughs> but there are steps. There are three levels of steps. I don't want to take, you know, I want to do it right now, get in the car and get on our way, you know. Why waste time? And so I make that attempt, grab all the luggage, start down the steps. Second or third step, I trip. Why? Because I can't see the step. I'm not not watching it. And so down the stairs I go, tumbling like that, suitcases flying, I'm flying, hit the end, Uh, my head hits uh, uh, the bottom, which is a piece of wood, I have a gash across my head, so I'm bleeding down, you know, all all the bad things that go with that. I wasn't totally unconscious, which was good. Uh, So I made my way back upstairs, you know, confessing what I had done. The words were, Mike, why are you so dumb? (laughs) Because sometimes we're just dumb. You know, and so I didn't have, I could have done it much. You know, watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of these every chance you get. We have one chance to live a godly, holy, abundant, full, meaningful, purposeful, good life. We have one chance. These are desperate times. As to the Ephesian church, does it sound like 2014 to you? It does. So God says, let me talk to you. The words are written through Paul in Ephesians. And here they come to you and me today. And we hear them wherever we are in our life. God's grace evens the playing field for where we go next. Doesn't matter what yesterday was. It's what tomorrow's going to be. So watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Do we get it? It's pretty clear, I think. I mean, it's so easy to read that and say, I think I know what God's telling me there. I think I can figure that out. I've got some clarity on that to begin with in the word of Ephesians to the Ephesian church. What are Christians like in a pagan world? And now you and I, what are Christians like in a pagan world? It's the same thing, not that much different. Well, the second verse here says, don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants, and that's Jesus. What does Jesus want? He wants us to have a great life, of an abundant, full life, a life that serves him. He wants us to live well and whole and holy. He wants that for us. We define that for ourselves, but what is that for you? Read the Bible and see what it is. Don't live carelessly or unthinkingly. Two summers ago, Rhonda uh, told me she wanted to have a garden in our yard. We have a very small yard. There's no place for a garden, really. We have a lot of Bermuda grass, and that makes it difficult to grow a garden as well. And so uh, we went out, and and I bought uh, these, uh, I'm not sure exactly what it's called, but they were kind of big boxes that you put together, about this high with wood kind of around them, uh, squares. Took them in the corner of the yard, and I put them together and put them in place. Uh, And we were able to fill that with good soil within those boundaries that were created by us. Now, I could have gone out and wandered around, hope I could find some onions just growing wild somewhere. Maybe there's some beets over there. Maybe some herbs. Well, she wanted to grow herbs. Maybe there's some herbs, you know. Maybe they're, they're somewhere else down the street, you know. The chances are I wouldn't work very well. I'm, I'm smart enough to know I'm not going to be able to find those vegetables that way, you know. Instead, we created a boundary for them to grow. We planted them, and they grew, 
and we harvested the tomatoes and the herbs and the onions and the potatoes, the things that she was growing there in that garden. That's how we did that. It wasn't that hard to figure it out, you know. It's not hard to figure out in my life where good and holy and love and grace and spirit can grow. What, I need to, what kind of boundaries I need to have to allow it to happen. What I need to fill in that part of my life and my soul that allows that to, to bloom in within me. It's not hard to figure that out, is it? What are the boundaries or rules we set for ourselves? God said, I'm going to give you a book. You read it. You decide if you want to live the way the master wants and you make decisions for yourself. And so we have those. I'm calling you from a pagan world now to a Christian life. What does it look like for you? How do you understand and live that out in your own life? What kind of boundaries do you create for yourself? And a culture that always wants to keep its options open and have few limitations and hates restrictions. What restrictions do you have for you as you live your life and choose to follow Jesus Christ and live really free within those boundaries? So, so we decide for ourselves what they are. And I have those for me. I'm pretty good with most of them. Some, some of them not as good as, as others, but most of them are pretty good at. But I know what they are. So because I have them, it helps me a lot. No, no, that's a boundary for you, Mike. You're not, you, you, that's said a long time ago, and you don't cross that line. And I have those for me. I hope hope you have those for you. We need those. And we're told that don't live carelessly. Draw a line. Don't live unthinkingly. Where's the boundary? How do you live your life? What does a master want? In that life is where we grow. We mature. We experience grace and God's mercy and God's spirit. We become who God wants us to be in our life. Throughout our entire lifetime. And we're living as Christians in a non-Christian world. We're living as, as people believe what the master says in a world that really is pretty pagan. In some ways, it's pagan or more pagan than the Roman and Greek world was, and that's hard to believe, but it's probably the truth. So do that. Well, number three, it says here very specifically, don't drink too much wine. Then say, doesn't say don't drink wine. I don't drink at all, but it doesn't say don't drink. It says just don't drink too much. But it says that cheapens your life. I like that terminology. I think it's so, so true and so, and so specific and it brings so much clarity to you and me. I'm a slow learner about some things. Uh, the way that I would purchase products most of my life was you buy the cheapest. That's, what, that's my way. I'm a cheap with money. And so I want to buy the cheapest, whatever it is. Well, that's the cheapest. I'm going to go right down there where the cheapest product is. I'm not going to go to the high-end high end of it. I'm going to go to the cheap end. Now, I finally have started learning about this. Ron and I bought our first house about six years ago, and the water heater went out, and I realized that water heater is only five years old. It should not have gone out yet. I'm going to go. I'm going to buy a good water heater. I'm going to buy the best they sell at Home Depot. And Rhonda looked at me like, are you sick? Are you have a fever? <laughs> What's something? No, no, I've learned. I've learned. That's going to last longer. It's going to work better. I won't have to replace it again. I'm going to get the best one they've got. I'm tired of replacing these stuff that breaks. I said, go buy, would you buy, she buys my clothes for me because she likes to do that. Buy me a good shirt. You'll spend $40 on a shirt? That's, a, that's not a good shirt to some of you. It is to me. Like the 1895 shirts, you know, for those who buy shirts. Buy me a good one. It'll last longer. I've learned the old one, the, the cheap ones wear out. <laughs> buy me a better one, you know, because I, I, I'm learning that. I'm learning. I hope we all learn that, that he's saying this cheapens our life. It doesn't bring value to it. 
doesn't make it a better life. It doesn't bring goodness to our relationships and our family and our community structure. And our, it doesn't do that. And so don't do that. Instead, it says, drink the Spirit of God. That brings value. That, that builds life. You know, drink huge droughts of God into your soul. In this pagan world where they would live this way, he says, no, quit that. Start this. And they're beginning to understand. So this is what it is to be a follower of Christ. So different than the way I've lived all my life, the way my family is and my community lives. So different they're being told. And they're trying to get their minds wrapped around this new way of living. You drink the Spirit of God. You don't drink too much wine. And they never really thought that being something they shouldn't do. As they experience a new way of life. So we learn to live that way and make those choices. And the Bible teaches it very simply, very clearly for us, because God says, I want you to have this word. It's be good for you. Your life will be better. you walk with me in a, in a better way. You won't mess up nearly as much. You know, so he says, here it is. I give it to you. And he allows us so much leeway in how we interpret these verses, how we get a grip on them, how we apply them, uh, how we build our lives, and how we grow. Well, the first, fourth verse of this text today says, sing hymns. Instead of drinking songs. Uh, now that would be an analogy they would understand. Most of their music would be connected with the celebrations that they would have in the Roman Empire and the Greek Empire. And worshiping idols. That's just the way their world was. So that's where the music came from. And he says, okay. Instead of singing those, hy- those songs, sing hymns that they were taught in the church. Most of the hymns that they learned came from the Psalms. Sing, like many of the songs you hear today. Uh, come from Psalms, uh, Psalms in the Bible. Sing those instead. Sing them from your heart to Jesus Christ. Sing praises over everything. This is what I want. Live this kind of life. Find, cope this way. Cope with your life and your issues and your problems and your good days and bad days. Cope like this. Don't cope like you have for a lifetime. Now cope in a new way. Cope by singing praises to God as He fills you with His Spirit. As your life is built and grows, as you experience faith and grace and peace, as you walk in a new way, the way Ephesians is telling us. Because God says, I want you to have this book, so I'm going to give it to you. I think think it's going to help you. And so we hear those words, and they're a blessing to us. Hope they are to you. Now I want to tell two stories. These are both Bible stories of men who lived in a pagan culture, a culture much like ours culture much, much like uh, Paul was speaking to there, God through Paul there in the city of Ephesus. Uh, we have a man named Joseph. You might know Joseph's story. Joseph found himself in a pagan land and taken from his family, sold into slavery. He'd become a servant there in that land. He came to a temptation. The temptation was a difficult one. It could destroy him. And what he does, he literally runs. Not figuratively, literally. He gets up on his feet and he relocates himself from the temptation. Does that make sense to you? Is that, watch your step? Don't live carelessly? Does that apply together to that story? I hope it does. It's just for me. And so, just run. And the second fellow is named Daniel. Daniel also was a, a godly man who was living in a pagan world, again taken to captivity in Babylon and a whole other different uh, part of the world than Egypt where uh, Joseph was. Uh, and there in captivity, he was constantly being challenged to do things. And he said, they're not in my box. They're not within the boundaries that I have for myself as a godly man. 
And so what he would do, he'd just say no. Even though he got in trouble on occasion, he lost friends on occasion because of that. In the end, he, of course, gained a lot if you know the story of Daniel. But regardless of that story, the truth is that he just said no. And so we see the clarity of that. Run, no. Run, no. Are you with me on, the, on these words uh, that apply to this, these texts that God gives us in our life? And, and Jesus said, I love his words. So Jesus is smart. I tell that, say that all the time. Jesus is a very smart guy. Uh, even those who don't believe that he's the son of God as I do. When you read what he says, you can say, he's smart. He knows what he's talking about because he did. He said, be wise as a serpent and be harmless as a dove. As you make your decisions in life, be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. There are five things that I believe uh, cause us to mess up our lives in this culture. I have another one coming next Sunday. You'll find out when you get here, as you did today. Uh, the second is chemically coping. I think alcohol is number one by far. Uh, we can add prescription drugs. Prescription drugs probably number two. Illegal drugs are probably number three. And tobacco use, of course, is probably part of all of that. So that's more of a life issue, a health issue than it is. Uh, it's a different issue in some ways. So we hear that. Hope you hear that today. It's God's word for you. And will you bow with me in prayer? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've given us today. We appreciate uh, your word. Uh, you love us enough to simply give us direction. Sometimes, God, we wonder what that direction should be or we get lost from it. But today, God, we know in your words you're pretty clear. We pray, your Lord, you'll help us hear the words and may they be applied to our living. If we accept your grace always, you give us every day and your peace you offer us and the life you give us. And life can begin anew for many of us, continue for all of us, and be celebrated, God, by each of us. So I pray in Jesus' name, amen.